Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. 20 minutes that simplifies the complex job of managing and leading people and inspires you to take action on what you probably already know to build and sustain a smart and healthy business. Here's your host, Ed Epley, to introduce this week's guest and business leader. Welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. One proven idea for growing a business to be a more sustainable and successful business in less than 30 minutes. Uh, Today we have somebody I know you're going to enjoy, uh, somebody that we got to talk about when we first met because I'm not, I don't remember when it was, but this gentleman has a, 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 just a tremendous number of qualities that I think you're going to admire. Number one, he's curious. He's quietly intense. He's very competitive, but not with others. He's more competitive with himself, I've learned. Than, than anyone else, very generous, he's thoughtful, and he's done a really good job, probably as good as anybody I know at building a truly sustainable organization in a, in a remarkably competitive and difficult uh, business segment, especially right now, the uh, food and hospitality area. His name is Rex Bryce. Rex, welcome to the Ed Epley Experience. Thank you, Ed. Good to be with you this morning. I uh, talked about it in the introduction that I can't remember when you and I met. I don't know I'm trying to think, would it have been at an event? Would it have been at one of your restaurants that somebody introduced us? I, I, I wonder how that took place. Oh, you know, it was probably a chamber event, Tom Kern. I believe you're right. I think it was through the chamber when uh, you were doing some work for them. I think we met through that. And, and uh, yeah. And because you're curious, you ask a few questions. You didn't, you didn't dive all the way in the pool. You kind of stuck your toe in the water to say, I wonder if there's something this bald headed guy might do to help me. But did you have three restaurants then maybe, maybe two? Yeah, that's probably right. I bet we had just recently opened number three. Yeah. Yeah. The journey you've been on to get to where you are is really uh, interesting in and of itself, uh, let alone how you've created a successful organization. Tell the folks how you got in the restaurant and hospitality business. What's the journey? Well, it's kind of all I've ever known. I started washing dishes when I was a kid, probably 14 years old. Where was that? Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Okay. Uh, Tar Hill or? Uh... Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Don't, don't, don't even go there. Okay. Uh, all right. Just making we, sure. We, we don't mention those <laughs> other folks. Okay. <laughs> grew up in Chapel Hill. My father was a professor of early childhood education at UNC and my mother was an artist. And I was always an active kid and got into the restaurant business and loved it. I enjoyed washing dishes. I remember working at a sandwich shop and I would, I would time myself for how quickly I could get through a, a tub of dishes. So yeah, I, I knew you were competitive with yourself. <laughs> so once I started cooking, I, I realized it was something I really enjoyed and I wanted to, wanted to do for the rest of my life. So at that time, I, I believed that I was going to be a, I had made the decision to become a chef and that was, that was it. That was what I was going to do for the rest of my life was to, was to cook. Did you go to culinary school? I did go to culinary school. Where? At that time, I had no, no intentions of, uh, of ever owning my own business necessarily. Went to culinary school in Asheville, North Carolina at Asheville Buncombe Technical College, which is a small school that has a fantastic culinary program. Back then, very small. You were in Asheville going to school before Asheville became the city it's become today, right? When I was in Asheville, it was it was as, as beautiful a place then as it is today, but it was very depressed. Yeah. 
it was yeah. still had not come into its its own and the community was not thriving at that yeah. time yeah yeah it had to build more and that was about it right that was about it yeah yeah Boy, I'll tell you what, anybody that's not been to the Biltmore needs to go. Uh, but let's stay on top of Rex. So you you did culinary school. And so how quickly did you get to Steamboat? Well, after culinary school, I, I had always wanted to travel. We didn't travel a lot when I was a kid. Uh, and so I had ideas of places I wanted to go. Of course, back then, we didn't have the internet as a guide. So I, I had visions of what places what places would look like in my head and dreams of going to them. And so I, I sought out and started to, to travel and live in those places. I moved to Massachusetts, lived on Cape Cod for several years, spent some time in Florida and California, uh, all beautiful places and all a big surprise. So, so when I finally did make it out to Colorado, I'd always wanted to live in the mountains. And, uh, and I'd always dreamed of Colorado uh, as, as an, a spectacular place based solely on what I suspect I saw on TV. Right. So, so my first trip to Colorado, I'll never forget. I drove across the country and I, I left Kansas and I was so excited to get out of Kansas and get to Colorado where the mountains were going to be. It's the Colorado <laughs> line. And, and of course it was flat as a pancake. You, you were know, still in Kansas. <laughs> so, right. So I, I kept driving and, and eventually I never saw mountains before it got dark. And so I, I wondered what I had done because I always thought Colorado and Denver in particular were in the mountains. And uh, it wasn't until I woke up the next morning that I actually saw any mountains. That's funny. <laughs> My dream's been shattered. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, so did you go right to Steamboat Springs or were there stops along the way in Colorado? No, I went right. I went straight to Steamboat Springs, pulled into Steamboat Springs uh, in 1993 and uh, Steamboat is one of those places, the Yampa Valley, they call it the Yampa Valley curse. You, you come off the pass and you drive down into the valley and, uh, and it really is real. a beautiful place. And uh, I was immediately enchanted by this, by the town and decided that this was a place I wanted to live. Yep. I, did, I did leave a couple of times to take some jobs and look for opportunities uh, but was always, always brought back to Steamboat. So many of us have been smitten with the Yampa Valley curse. And um, it's strange. It's really hard to describe. One of the neat things about Steamboat, and this is not a, a paid promotion, but it's <laughs> it's so neat, is that it was a community and a, a successful place, a town, before skiing ever became part of the ecosystem. And so it's it's got roots and history and a quaintness about it and a, and a stability about it that you don't see in a lot of ski resorts. And um, that's reflected in, in the way the, the city operates, the county operates today, I think. It's, it's, it's really a, a neat place. So if you haven't been to Steamboat Springs, I highly encourage you. And, and it's a real tough call, but if I had to say one time of the year, I'd make it August. Early September is probably my favorite time, but Rex, you may differ on that. I, I'm I'm with you. I, I also like June. The flowers here in, yeah. in late June are spectacular, and the river is raging, and uh, it's it's a real pretty time to be here. Ed, my experience with what you're describing as a community here at Steamboat is was was that I had gotten off a long shift one day and was sitting at the bar, relaxing, and I had my head down, not resting on the bar 
but, uh, <laughs> but looking down and contemplating work that I need to do. And, and, I, and I noticed that I was listening to a conversation by the guys sitting next to me about their golf game. And, and it wasn't clicking because what I was looking at was were the legs of a guy with chaps and spurs, cowboy boots, chaps and spurs on, and and a cowboy hat sitting on the chair. <laughs> I leaned up and looked at the cowboy sitting next to me and thought, well, this pretty accurately yeah. explains what Steamboat is all about. It really is a unique place and so many unique personalities still to this day. You're absolutely right. Um, all right. Let's talk a little bit about business. You have built a business that went from one entity, one restaurant to now, is it five or six restaurants? Seven. Seven. Forgive me. I, I can't keep count. <laughs> I'm sure you have times that you get confused too. All right. So you got seven. And sometimes I wish it was four or five. I'm sure you do. I'm, th- I'm sure there are times you do. But but what's unique about your business model, especially in the food industry, is these are not clones. These are not anywhere near identical uh, concepts. They are each a unique entity with a unique personality, unique menus, Explain that strategy. How did you figure that out? And I would say that that was completely driven by the market. Okay. I recognized in the early 90s that I, that I wanted to open and own my own restaurant. And uh, that if I was going to do that, it quickly became apparent that, that it is difficult to make it on one. And that if I wanted to, the lifestyle that I wanted, which was uh, time with my family and potentially weekends off, and not washing dishes that, that I needed to open, that I needed to own multiple. So when did you open your second restaurant? So that need, let me finish that comment. So as I looked at different markets, I looked at communities like Denver where we could duplicate one concept. Right. And we had opened restaurants in Denver. That's what we would have done, what I would have done in Steamboat. The market is too small to duplicate one concept. And so I recognized very early on that I needed to develop many concepts. And of course, that, that, that's never been a problem for me as the, the ideas are greater than the opportunities. Do you have ADD? Yes, I'm sure. Di- I di- okay, not diagnosed, but you, you get bored. Quickly. Yeah. You're listening to the Ed Epley Experience. Email Ed now with your questions for today's guest to podcast at theepleygroup.com. In his book, Let's Be Clear, Six Disciplines of Focused Management Pros, author Ed Epley breaks down key practices of professional management, how to implement them, and why it matters. Purchase your copy on Amazon.com today. Develop your competitive edge for the future while building a sustainable and thriving business. So you bolted on one after another, and and I would argue pretty opportunistically. You have, in all cases or in, in some, have you opened new ones or have you, is all your growth acquisition? So... The only restaurant that is 
still the same concept as it was when I purchased it is, is the first business that we bought in the Zolas. All of the businesses after that, we, I've acquired failing spaces and developed a concept for each of those spaces. So I found as opposed to having a concept and looking for a space to fit that concept in, I looked for spaces and developed a concept that would work for that space. um, So uh, for most businesses, when they try to scale, one of the things that they lack is talent at the managerial level. Has that ever been a constraint for you? Uh, Certainly. I think that that's that, that in the restaurant business is one of our biggest challenges. Our, our biggest hurdle to growth is, is the talent. And we're not alone in that. We do support our people and, and we have great people. I have, I have fantastic people that have been with me since day one. And, uh, and that makes a big difference. So when did you intentionally start to grow people? It was that intuitive for you right from Rex's in the holiday Inn, or when did that happen? Yeah, that was that was intuitive because I recognized when I decided to, to open my own restaurants, I was a I was an accomplished chef. I was a, I was a really good cook, and I, I knew I could cook a steak, uh, and I knew I could lead a team in the kitchen. But I didn't know much about the rest of the business, so 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 I immediately sought out to learn the business end. So once I captured that, I, I pretty well knew that I, I understood the business of, of restaurants and I knew that I, uh, I knew that I knew how to cook, but I didn't, but I didn't know the rest of it and I knew I, I couldn't do it alone. So, uh, so I started finding people who were smarter than I was in, uh, in those areas. The, um, one of the challenges for businesses in Steamboat that our audience may not appreciate is that a lot of people want to live there, but most people really can't afford to live there unless they work multiple jobs. Why don't you talk a little bit about what that has meant to your business and how you've dealt with that? You're right. Stephen, it was a tough place to live. We, uh, we do our best. It, w- it hasn't always been this way, but we do our best to support, to support our team and create an opportunity in which they can live and thrive here. Many of them do work multiple jobs and hopefully within our organization. But we also, we make a concerted effort to pay our management team at a level in which they can live and and exist. So many of them, uh, most of them, I would say, own their own homes and have families. And that's that's saying something for a community like Steamboat. Yeah, the cost of housing is... uh is really high, relatively speaking, in, in a town like Steamboat. It's, it's, I found that the cost for groceries and food and things of that nature is not, you know, it's, it's, it's a, lot, a resort town in that regard, but it's not crazy. But the cost of housing is, and, the, and it's not just the cost, but it's the availability of housing in the market is just limited because of where the community is and how it sets and things of that nature. So it's just really hard to, to find a place to live. And uh, that in itself makes it difficult for all businesses in, in the community. Let's talk about right now, tough economy, uh, tough situation with the uh, virus COVID-19 and, and the challenges it's created with social distancing. And um, I'm curious about the global financial crisis in 2008, 9, and 10, which we definitely saw a slowdown in the economy in Steamboat then. 
are there lessons to be learned from that in what you're dealing with today? Or are they, are they apples and oranges in terms of what you've had to do and what, you know, what the path looks like out of it? Yeah, they're not apples to oranges. I think that they're very similar. And if there is one thing that gives me some peace, it is that we have been through this before or something similar to it before and we, and we survived. And so survived and thrived. So I know that we can do it again. During the financial crisis of in 2008 between, you know, of course in Steamboat, we, we really didn't feel it. And, and I think we'll see this again with, with this crisis is that the pain doesn't start for a little while. So in Steamboat, we were hit in 2008, but I think that a lot of businesses weren't truly impacted until 2009, 10. Yeah. And I agree. So, so we, we, during that period, we actually opened three, uh, three concepts during that period between 2010 and 2012. Uh, and, and we, there were a lot of tears shed during that time, a lot of stress, tough times, but it, it's nice to be able to look back on that and know that it came out okay and that we survived it. Uh, and, and I think that we survived it because we paid attention to our core values. Which are? Uh, you know, our, when we look at our, when I look at my core values, it's, it's, it's honestly a list that's too long to mention here today, but one of the primary things is, is that we exist to create fulfillment in, in the lives of the people around us. Uh, and that's, that is particularly important to remember during times like this. And so uh, I, I figure I, I still to this day remember, and I'm sure I have it somewhere, an email that I sent to my management team back then talking about uh, our, our challenges. And if we were hurting, then so were our team and our guests and our vendors and our entire community to imagine how this impacts them and to continue to be supportive of them and make decisions that are best for everyone uh, and good long-term decisions as opposed to quick, rash decisions that end up hurting you in the long run. We exist to create fulfillment in the people around us. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. That's probably not exactly it. That sounds like a purpose to me. When did you come up with that? That's a good question. Probably about 10 years ago. And, um, and, and that, that statement was organic. And I think if there's one thing that I would say that is very important in business, it's that you pay attention to who you are and that the, the mission statements and statements of purpose and vision and those things uh, come from truly who you are as opposed to being fabricated strictly for the sake of, of creating one and to create something that you want to be as opposed to what you actually are. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. You, you have never been good at checking the box. Yeah. <laughs> You've never been good at that Rex. I believe that so many people fail in their mission statement or their vision or their, or their statement of purpose, because I really believe in, in, and truly fail with their culture. When we look at companies that have a strong culture or a bad culture, uh, many of those companies that have poor cultures sit down 
uh, with a piece of paper and a group of people and they talk a lot about who they want to be and what they want their culture to be and they stick it on a piece of paper. Uh, then they take that piece of paper and they stick it in a drawer and they go back to being who they who they always were <laughs> as opposed to yeah truly looking at who they who they are how they how they act well i also think it's interesting if you came up with this 10 years ago let's just say you came up with it in 2010 give or take you had already been in business for 12 13 14 years before you came up with it so um, by then you you had i would say you had become pretty self aware at that point, who you were, who Rex's was, who the entity was, and you know what what you guys were about. I think that's part of the journey of the figuring out the the self awareness that we need to be successful as executives haunts us. It it um, w- most of us get it way too late, um, and and I think uh, you're you're one of those who because you're curious and and maybe because you're ADD you. you maybe that's why you kept thinking about it and searching for it. I, I really applaud that. So many people just don't, don't make that effort. You know, you've, you went from doing work to managing managers. Um, you went from doing all the jobs when you did, when you had one location, you had to be prepared to do anything all the time to now successfully managing other people who do the work and, and manage the people for the most part. Do you like one better than the other? Do you, do you like this uh, particular spot you're in now? Or did you like cooking? I mean, I, do you miss that? Do you miss not the, the intimacy of, of being in a restaurant? I, I love where I am today. But, but I guess to your point, the cooking is where I was more comfortable. Yeah. It was easier. It was what I knew. I did it. I'd been in that environment since I was 14. So making the transition was hard. Uh, it was not, not something that came naturally. And I, I, I think for most, it probably doesn't come naturally. It doesn't. Yeah, um, that's, been, that's been, been, been my experience. So, so as, you, as you started, I mean, it's, at some point, you added the next, the next concept, the next restaurant. And all of a sudden, your attention had to be different. Your focus had to be different. And it was like, well, I can't go back now. I mean, it's too big. I, I, I mean, you could, but it's become this thing. <laughs> and and uh, I'm curious about, do you look back very often or do you only look forward? Look, I look back as well as forward and try and pay attention to what we've done right and what we've done wrong. Uh, during that time when it did get too big for me to do it, yeah. then I started moving into that role of, managing at a higher level, I felt very uncomfortable. There was a long period. And I, when I say long period, I would say of years where I felt like I wasn't doing my job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and you couldn't get the immediate feedback about whether what you were doing was right or wrong. Right. I mean, it's, it's, there's such a lag between when you're in a, when you're running an entity of the size and scale you are, you, you push on a button and it might be three months, six months before you know if you pushed the right button or if you did it successfully, right? Right. Or if people below you are pushing the buttons they're supposed to push, you, it takes yeah. time to figure out whether or not you're doing that. <laughs> you, uh, you've mentioned your people and your, uh, your purpose. You know, you're in an industry that's known for not being good for personal life that it takes a toll on people who are in it because you're working strange hours and you're working lots of hours and so forth. 
how does the organization manage that? When a lot of the decisions that I've made since, since I initially started this business were not based on things that I saw that were right in the industry. They were maybe based on things I saw that were wrong. And one of those things is a, as a young chef back in the eighties, uh, that's, that struck me as I got older was that the, the norm was a six day work week. Yeah. You literally just were scheduled, you're put on salary and scheduled for six days. And, and endlessly I would get burned out over time uh, and no vacation time, right. vacation time. I never had vacation time as a chef. Uh, just was never not something that was included in in your benefits. So as I started to grow my company, I knew that those were things that were important to to me and in offering to my team. It was also important to me that we that we change the culture of of thinking that working more should be rewarded or that the only way you were going to succeed was by working yourself into the ground. Right. It's been proven over time that um, people are more successful and, and more productive when they aren't burned out. It's not, it's not, that's not complicated to see. Right. And I'm not right. talking about the difference between working 30 hours and 40 hours. I'm talking about the difference between working 50 hours and a hundred hours. Yeah. So, so we started immediately uh, with a policy that, that every manager should shoot to get two days off a week. And that working on labor costs didn't mean you working more as a manager. It meant coming up with better solutions for how we did things. Uh, and we, we have a list of benefits that we want to offer our employees. And we continue to, as, as we grow, continue to add those benefits. Yeah, you've. I, I wish we had time to talk about that journey, and maybe we should have you back. Uh, and my guess is, uh, audience will re- request it. But the the journey you've been on to um, share in the uh, prosperity uh, with your people and and use it as a mechanism to be able to attract and retain talent is really a, a, a really a good one. Um, let me ask you this. We promise our listeners um, one proven idea to help them run a more successful and scalable and hopefully sustainable business. So I'm curious if there was one thing that you would suggest to other business owners and CEOs or presidents that are listening to the uh, the podcast today, what would it be? You know, Ed, I, I guess I'd have to say that the thing that sticks out to me is that if, if you want to be successful, then you need to create success for others and surround yourself with people who, uh, who are smarter than yourself. That's a wonderfully succinct, clear, and uh, powerful idea that, that uh, I know you believe in. And one thing that I've known about the way you've operated is you have, you've retained a, a remarkably high number of your most talented people when they could go other places. And uh, part of that's the community where you are and people want to stay in Steamboat, but there's so many other places they could work in Steamboat, yet they choose to be part of the Rex's family of restaurants. So it's a, certainly a credit to you and the culture you've created. He's Rex Bryce. He's the owner of Rex's family of restaurants and creating success for others is probably about as short and succinct 
and clear a message about what we can do to run a more successful business. Rex, thanks so much for being with us today on the Ed Epley Experience. My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Ed Epley Experience. For more information on building a more sustainable, smarter, and healthier business, visit www.theepleygroup.com for resources, tips, and Ed's latest blogs. That's theepleygroup.com. Plus, take a free assessment at theepleygroup.com slash assessment to find out how you measure up as a highly skilled and accomplished manager and where to focus on improving your skills.